0: Instead of looking at all the same stuff that other people are looking at, try to go find the new stuff that's out there, the stuff that's overlooked, right? And put in the work. The thing that's beautiful about this market environment, absolutely beautiful, is that we currently have, in my opinion, a lazy trader problem where people aren't putting in the work. Hey guys, uh, welcome to the 1000X Podcast with you have got me, Avi, and Jonah Van Berg here. It's funny, normally I'm a, I'm, I'm a guest, I'm a guest on podcasts and this is actually the first time that I've led a podcast or start, started, started a podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have, I'm happy to have Jonah here as my, you know, as, as my partner in this, I think it's been a, it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. Met, met Jonah almost a, almost a year ago now, uh, and, you know, consider him one of the, one of the, one of the smartest guys in, uh, in, in, in the space and we we chat pretty pretty regularly about what's going on what's going on in the markets and we realized that it would be fun to do this in a public format where we go around we hash we hash our ideas we talk about what we're seeing in the markets and we discuss what we're seeing day to day as two professional traders you know we i love consuming content on podcasts i love listening to to smart people talk about smart things i don't know if that's going to be this podcast but we'll i guess we'll find out <laughs> and one of the things that i felt i was i was missing was a perspective from people that are in the markets day to day right so you know i i'm the head of digital assets trading at, at golden tree which is a 50 billion dollar asset manager we just recently spun out a spun out a crypto desk and we've got a team of 10 people working on working on digital assets right now trading we have a you know we 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 have we participate in liquids we participate in venture, we sort of do everything under the sun, which I guess is a little bit unexpected for, for a traditional fund, but I'm in the markets every day. day. on trading view with you guys every day, I'm checking Nansen with you guys every day. And so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're in the markets, uh, look, looking at the data and, and Jonah, Jonah does the same, you know, that's, you know, he's a, he's a head of trading over at, over at Cumberland right now. And I don't want to speak too much for him, but the, the, the bottom line is we wanted to start something where two practitioners could get together every couple of weeks and just talk about what they're seeing in the markets and hopefully generate some interesting content for you guys, the listeners out there, from people that are doing this professionally. There are not that many professional crypto investors, crypto traders out there. So, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully we'll have some
1: great discussions and we're happy to have you along for the ride. Definitely. I mean, couldn't be more thrilled to be doing this with you, Avi. Um, You know, you're obviously well known in crypto circles. I'm I'm more of a newcomer, but I appreciate you welcoming me into the fold here. Um, you know, I got to say, uh, as head of trading at Cumberland, it's been it's been a pretty wild ride over the last year. Crypto's gone from you know, let's call it euphoria at the beginning of the year to now. I don't know whether you want to call it despair or you know, absolute panic. But um, this is a, this is a wild asset class, but it's an important one the geopolitical relevance of, of crypto is on the rise. And, you know, one of the, the theses that Avi and I had when we were talking about starting this thing was like, hey, internet money, Web3, Bitcoin, all of this stuff, like it's, you know, never before in history has early stage technology been so liquid and transparent. And So if you're going to spin up a Web3 company, if you're going to trade Bitcoin, if you're going to just get involved in uh, the digital world and its native assets... You, you got to understand these markets. And so, uh, you know, normally tech people, uh, and market practitioners aren't really kind of on the same page and we're, we're trying to kind of bring everybody to the table to talk about this stuff. It's, it's more important than ever. Trillions of dollars of value are, are getting kind of washed around in these markets. And, and you know, we think that crypto podcasting, it's a great way to learn about the space. But in general, um, what we've heard so far is is mostly, you know, crypto podcasters tend to be journalists and so nothing against them. They do great journalism, but there aren't really a lot of traders out there podcasting and talking to other traders and, you know, giving listeners the flavor of what goes on on trading floors. You know, I'm obviously, uh, you know, a young thundercat a superstar in the crypto space. I'm, I'm more of an, an older guy. Um, I'm about 10 years older than him. Uh, I, I, before this, I was an oil trader come from a trad five background. I was a partner at VTOL. Uh, it's a big fossil fuel trading company, the biggest. Um, and I, I guess I joined crypto because I found it so fascinating and it started to look familiar, uh, a bit like a commodity would for a number of reasons that we can get into on the podcast. But I have more of a trad five background. So um, ultimately, Hopefully Avi and I can kind of unpack this, this really confusing world with a balanced perspective where we're not going to come in and, you know, have this, I guess you get a, you get a pretty binary perspective in the space. You get people who say crypto is a scam. It's all bullshit. It's going to zero. There's a lot of that out there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these sort of crypt, crypto euphoric people who interpret every everything that hits the space as giga bullish. And we want to provide you guys with a balanced perspective, try to interpret things in a reasonable way and help educate people about uh, what we believe to be a, a pretty important movement. So yeah, looking forward to it, Avi. You really, you really aged yourself there with the Thundercats
0: reference. I, I had mean, no idea what that was, so I looked it up. For, for those of you that don't know, Thundercats was apparently a show that aired from 1985 to 1989. It was in 2D. <laughs> millennial stuff. It was in 2D. Wow. can't imagine watching a 2D show about Thundercats? Well, I, I'll, take, I'll take it as a compliment, Jonah. You should, man. You're a Thundercat. So with, with, all the, <laughs> with, with, all the, with all the with all the intro out of the way, how are you feeling about the markets today?
1: Uh, well, all right, so it's a good question. I think we're in for a lot of volatility volumes are in the toilet right now. If you look at March as a reference point for just crypt, the number of dollars of crypto that were traded every day, you're you in the, you know, kind of 10 to $15 billion range if you include altcoins. You know, let's let's take volumes that we think are legitimate that are published in a, you know, a, in a sensible kind of way, derivatives plus spot. I think you're down 60, 60 to 70% from those volumes uh, on average. And so... It could be a holiday liquidity vacuum. It could be like a, no one's ever gonna care about this space again type thing this is the most bearish interpretation possible. My personal view is that we're in for a bit of volatility and then we're gonna start to grind higher. Like this is, th- this is bad. The second biggest exchange just exploded and turned out to be a you know an insolvent, like pick your flowery word to describe what FTX was. So I don't see much fallout from here. If anything there's more of a deficit of crypto than a surplus at this point what do you think avi
0: yeah it's it's interesting you know i i tweeted on a chart the other day uh that basically it's, it's like that famous wall street chart right where it shows you the path the path of a bubble and it basically it basically ends with depression right and apathy and we're getting we're getting close I, you know it's, 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 it's actually reminding me very much. So of what happened in, in 2018, where in 2018, you had that, you had that break of, you had that break of 6k, you sell you sell off to 3k. A lot of that was around minor death spirals. It was around balance sheet offloading. It was, there was, there's even, there's even a rumor at the bottom. That's a, that was circulating that freaked out a ton of people that Satoshi's coins were on the move. And obviously none
1: of that, you know, n- 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 none of that. What, what did that feel like? Like you were in, you were in the markets then. What what did that feel like to you as a trader? Like for me, I'm new in this. I, you know, it obviously feels pretty miserable right now. What did, what did it feel like to you back then when it went to 3K?
0: Well, you have to, you have to remember that back in 2018, there were no real use cases for crypto. It was all speculation today it's a lot less of that. I mean, you have thing, you have DeFi, you've got a lot of games that have integrated tokens. You actually got a lot of usage of, of, of ETH, you know, you see Bitcoin actually, actually being used in a, in a, in a couple, in a couple of different areas The the store of value narrative has really, has really taken, you know, t- taken hold. And you 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 can point to a bunch of different things about crypto and say, Hey, okay, yeah, FTX collapsed. Yeah, all these horrible things have happened. Yes, there was a lot of leverage on the system, but there's fundamental usage for these applications, and I think that in five years, that that's going to be taken up, and that real-world assets are going to come to chain, or you know, the metaverse economies are going to take off, or whatever whatever narrative floats your boat at the at at the time. You know, today, it's, actually, it's a lot easier than it was in 2018. And it's, it's for that reason. Because in 2018, you were, you're, you're sort of sitting there. And you're thinking to yourself, okay. So Bitcoin just went to 20K. And it went down to three. We had a tremendous amount of people come in and, ju- and just get burned. What's going to bring people back? Is crypto just dead? Because there were a bunch of ICOs that all went under. Bitcoin Bitcoin bubble popped. Ethereum bubble popped. And there wasn't that much that was happening on the building side that was visible to many people. So if you were really, really in it, you started to see the inklings of DeFi, the first iterations of DeFi and the people that really saw the future looked at things like Uniswap, it was launched in 2018 and they said, okay, this could be something. But the majority of people they weren't looking at things like that at the time. So what you got was you just got this overwhelming sense of depression that it just wasn't coming back. And that meant that 90% of the people that I knew that were involved in crypto in the beginning of 2017, or sorry, at the end of 2017, were no longer there at the end of 2018, I'd say probably more than 90%, so many people I knew just left, they just didn't come back
1: and this time it's a lot different was crypto twitter a thing back then was there was there publicly available it was like, yeah yeah, no, it, was, yeah. It, was, it was
0: it was it was it was a thing it, yes totally a thing um it was just a little bit stupider than it is today but more fun hard to imagine <laughs> and I, oh it, it was it, it was it was a t- complete cesspool but it was a lot of fun and i was i was i was a really tiny account back then just following all the big guys uh, but you know, as I was, I was there and, and, and trying to, trying, trying to keep up. But, you know, you, you fast forward to 2018 and, and so, so many people, so many people just left, right. They just, they just got out. And when I compare that to today, most people I know are sticking around and that actually makes me pretty bullish. And it also makes me think that the, the hallmarks of a cycle, are gonna look a little bit different moving forward than they, have, than they have in the past. Because we've reached a critical point where there are enough people in this world that really believe that crypto is gonna change things and can look at history and say, well, this is what happens in a, in a boom-bust cycle. Things go down 90% and then they go back up, the useful stuff, right? And so today it's a, it's a little bit less Depressing than it was than it was in 2018 because you have you know that that sort of foundation, but it's still it's still apathetic. I think people are scared. I think that there's there there are a lot there are a lot of headwinds from you know both regulation, market structure, there are all sorts of things that are are headwinds for the asset class. But I'll flip I'll flip this on its head a bit and I'll say, look at all of the horrible, terrible things that have just happened, and look at where Bitcoin is trading, and look at where Ethereum is trading.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in any asset class, when when the price action looks kind of like it's outperforming the most horrendous set of news events, normally you're supposed to interpret that as a, a, a sign of strength. And, you know, I agree with you to, to the extent yeah, that every like, time you're talking about use cases, for example, like this isn't a 2018 scenario where people have, you know, totally justifiable means to say like, hey, this, what, what is this stuff used for? Like, let's just start with the very basics. Bitcoin is probably a better store of value and means of exchange than the world's bottom hundred fiat currencies. Like I, I would, if I lived in Chad, I would rather own, you know, at worst, a stable coin, at best Bitcoin rather than whatever the local currency is uh, in, my, in my environment for various reasons. Um, stable coins, real innovation. Uh, you can move value on Christmas at 3 a.m., You can keep money effectively have a a dollar bank account that you can't get from J.P. Morgan if you don't live in a developed economy. And then uh, digital ownership, we you know plenty of people I know laugh at NFTs. Plenty of plenty of older people who know what Thundercats are laugh at NFTs. But you know if you deny the ownership of digital goods and services, you know kind of kind of Grandpa Simpson at this stage. So you know just right there you have the basis for something valuable. so I take your point about how this, this isn't 2018 anymore. And, and the point you made about how people aren't leaving the space, like that's true too, just look at this from like a practical investment perspective right now, right? You've
0: got, okay. So you had one of the largest exchanges in the world blow up. Yeah. You had it be a complete fraud. You had them apparently just basically selling BTC and ETH to go buy their shit coins of choice. Sorry. I, Bad coins of choice. Uh, <laughs> and then you have Ethereum trading at 1330 and, and Bitcoin trading at 18 K. And that to me, what that signals is that people, re- people really want these things. People want Bitcoin, people want Ethereum. And if you're bearish right now, I think you're just coping. I think you're coping with the fact that you probably got hit on the way down and you're coping with the fact that you didn't buy fifteen fifteen five, And you're coping with the fact that you didn't, you didn't buy, you know, a thousand dollars or sorry, 1100 ETH, right
1: and you're sitting there and you're going, well it has to go down. Okay. Why? Why? Why, yeah, why exactly? It, why does it have to go down? Sim- similarly, people were coping on the highs when Bitcoin was trading 69k and you know, things were getting more bullish and Bitcoin wasn't going up. Um bullish went from a macro perspective, I think you had, you know, weakness uh, in crypto against the backdrop of signs of macro strength. That should have been a signal that things were headed mm-hmm. lower and now you have the the opposite situation. So yeah, you know, it's a good point you make there
0: hundred percent. You have it, you have a situation now, and this is, I think a useful generalizable framework for how to think about trading, trading the markets, right? Okay. Who are the buyers and who are the sellers? In every scenario, whenever I wake up in the morning and I assess the market, I look at a bunch of, I look at a bunch of different data points, right? You look at your funding rates, you look at your open interests, you look at, you know, on chain, on chain metrics, you look at flows, order books, whatever you want to look at, right? One thing that i try to do every morning is i'll sit there and i'll think about who's a buyer today and who's a seller today of these asset class right of these assets so in bitcoin let's walk let's walk through that here who's who's a seller right who is selling 18k btc that is new to the market right or that that want that wants to get out of their position.
1: That well, forget didn't want what, forget to sell. whether they're new. Let's just talk about who would sell it ordinarily. You know, the listeners probably want to know, like, who's, who, who are the natural sellers of Bitcoin? You, you've got miners, right? They mine Bitcoin, they sell it to fund their operations. Some miners. Some some miners hold on to Bitcoin and raise, you know, funds via debt or equity mm-hmm. to fund their operations. Um, but some miners just go and sell it. So you have constant miner selling. That's one source. Um, another source would be, let's say, whales. Early Bitcoin people who, you know, Bought Bitcoin on Craigslist with some QR codes, and now are worth hundreds or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. And they just say, "Hey, I want to launch some to, you know, buy another house." Right? There's probably a bit of that, or maybe some, you know, retail investors who got in at higher levels and now need to sell to to sort of fund lifestyle type things or a tax tax event. Um, you know those are the types of sellers that you would normally see throughout the course of an ordinary business day in bitcoin and in eth it used to be miners but they stopped after the merge which is which is a beautiful which is a beautiful thing and you know one one thing
0: that is important is contextualizing when they're when those people are in the market and when they're not right. so let's let's use bitcoin 18k as an example so miners when you actually if you look at public you know, public miners and their balance sheets—they don't really have much Bitcoin left, and I think that's actually a reasonable comp for looking at how much Bitcoin just miners in general have to sell. Um, it's just not that much, right? And so, 18k and BTC it's publicly available you can who's, who's who's going to sell? Well, well, it's people. Yeah, it's it's people. It's people that you know are okay. Maybe they're underwater and they they want to they want to exit their positions, or maybe they bought lower and they want to they want they want to exit their positions. The people that are underwater i think basically everybody has sold post ftx right so if you were worried about losing on your bitcoin position or you were worried or you got your stop loss your stop loss got hit or your stop loss got triggered or you're panicked about crypto or you just want to pull cash out and you want to raise your cash balances because the world the world looks really scary all of that selling has actually already happened like who, who who's gonna who's gonna be the new person to panic here or the new person to say I'm going to get out of this. The marginal seller in my perspective right now are the people that bought lower and are just looking to trade or it's shorts, right? Because the people that lost faith in crypto or the people that wanted to raise cash or the people that panicked out because of FTX or the people that got their, their, their stop losses triggered or the levered longs, all those guys just got washed out over the last, over the last month. Yeah. And so what you need in order to, I think, send Bitcoin lower is you need to entice new sellers into the market. And new sellers into the market would come either A, via a black swan event, like a Binance or Teller going down, or B, because macro goes down and correlation, traders come into the market and, and push this thing lower. So right now, the only person that I fear are the people that bought 15, 16K, and they want to take profit. I don't think that that type of buyer bought 15 and 16 K to sell 18 K. They no, probably yeah. bought 15 and 16 K to sell 21 or 23 or 25, or to hold it for the next, for the next cycle. Right. They're not, they're not buying substantial amounts of Bitcoin to flip from 16 K to 18 K.
1: No. And, and that universe of people, even if they did decide to buy at 15 K to flip at 18 K, like they're, they're just not holding that much Bitcoin, that group, like in commodities markets in TradFi, you call them weak hands. They're, they're day traders. They're, they're not holding, Huge amounts of volume that move the market, um, but like you know, the, the the group of people that I was scared of, that I was I was thinking, gosh, you know, now that we've had this fallout from FTX, who's what's the next big wall of selling to hit the market? I was worried that bankrupt lenders holding portfolios of coin would just be lambasting bids across the entire market, and you know, the the whole like FTX, Alameda, and you know, name your list of bankrupt lenders selling billions of dollars worth of bitcoin even even the the, what little liquidity is left in the you know the benchmark assets sitting on those balance sheets it might not get liquidated for years i mean they still haven't sold the mount gox tokens um or or unencumbered those like it's it's just less of a concern than it was and that 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 was the big fear for a lot of people was the the bankruptcy proceedings i don't know what do you think yeah
0: yeah, no, it's is it a big, big, big fear for 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 us too, and you know that's why when you look at, I mean, I don't know what's what what exactly is going on uh, with 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 some of these with some of these bankruptcy proceedings, but I know from you know our our internal our internal expertise that they take they take a long time to play out, and that you know it, it's not it's not it's not an overnight it's not an overnight liquidation, and also. By the way, a a lot of these people actually, there's just not that much on the balance sheets anymore. I mean, selling you, you, you would have great insight into this. So I want to, I want to hop into it because I know you guys do do a lot of OTC, but selling a billion dollars of Bitcoin, while it sounds like a lot, isn't that much anymore in the grand scheme of things, because this thing trades a lot, Bitcoin trades a ton. And so I'm curious, you know, what? What have you got i mean as a as 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 a firm that does a lot of uh trading with a lot of different counterparties what what have you seen post f t x in terms of change of market structure or change of the type of person that you're trading with or the behavior of the people that you're trading with i'm I'm curious
1: what what you've seen internally that has changed yeah i mean thanks for asking it's uh I think it's a super relevant question i mean prior to ftx and we can get into what happened later with ftx i i think a marketplace is comprised of a number of different essential services liquidity is a very important service custody is another one settlement perhaps the most important service if you send your yen or your euros off to some entity you're really hoping to receive your dollars back right so whoever you're doing that transaction with your settlement agent is very important you know, then there, there are all sorts of ancillary services like, uh, you know, providers of leverage, et cetera. Anyway, all of those services were kind of getting consolidated under a very limited number of roofs. You had FTX basically doing all of that. Um, you have Binance doing all of that. And at the time it seemed to run, you know, you can probably provide more insight into this than, than anybody, you know, you're, you're crypto native tried and true. Like that's kind of Against the ethos of, of crypto and decentralization. Anyway, it was happening, and as an OTC liquidity provider, was you know you adapt, you go where the volumes are, you start providing liquidity on exchanges, you optimize your latency, you go high tech, science the science it, figure it out as best you can. But then post FTX blowing up, everything changed. Right, we were seeing sort of a, a decline in the number of counterparties that were interested in self custodying and trading OTC or custo you know using a famous custodian you know there are a couple out there zappo coinbase and then trading otc most people were just sort of like banking with ftx and doing everything with ftx now the market instead of going that like ultra centralized direction which is kind of like call it commodity derivatives or equities it's kind of done a handbrake turn now things are starting to look a little bit more like fx where you have silos of capital in this case digital asset capital all around the world you have nodes of uh You know settlement agents uh were one of them for example uh in the future there will be more perhaps banks will get involved and then those other market services like provision of liquidity provision of leverage those are all you know kind of being provided by you know leverage now you can get good leverage from ave for example or you can get good liquidity from us and the providers of settlement in the future will aggregate all of those different market services White label them and offer them to you know customers the way that Morgan Stanley offers uh, you know G ten FX liquidity to people without necessarily providing it themselves. So um, ultimately, what we've seen on the OTC side as a liquidity provider, you know, we provide liquidity on exchange and OTC. We've seen a you know record number of onboardings and uh, counterparty interest in the month of November as people are looking for new you know avenues to trade in the wake of FTX. We're seeing basically all of these market services decentralize. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a big focus on ETH and Bitcoin after an initial flurry of like altcoin liquidation, you know, people just seeking liquidity and bids and uh, solvency in any way they can. And uh, the nature of the counterparties that are onboarding, surprisingly institutional. Um, FTX really had deep inroads Mm -hmm. into the institutional space. It wasn't just retail investors who were on that platform. It was... You know big big companies and those companies are now rethinking the way that they uh, the way that they trade so you know FTX was a compelling story but I think now people really want to diversify their options for crypto liquidity and the odd thing about all this just to put you know kind of a finishing touch on the comment is um, the volumes haven't really like crypto market volumes are down but OTC volumes are up so OTC t- at least for now is a a larger slice of a smaller pie. And let me turn that around to you, Avi. Um, What if, you know, on your side as a, as a proper investor in this space who understands altcoins better than pretty much anybody, what, like where, where are you focused on deploying risk now versus before that blow up? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good question. And (laughs) the,
0: the tough part about post FTX is that you have to reevaluate every single counterparty, every single person you trade with rigorously. Right. And you really, you really have to dive into it. And basically everybody that we trade with now, it's like, okay, let me see, let me see, let me see your audited financials. Who are you audited by? Are you audited by a, a big four or are you audited by some random three person company in Idaho? Right. It's like. Show me, like, sh- show me, show me who's who's actually looking through books, right? And you you ask you ask for their risk parameters, and then you just have discussions about how they manage risk in general, because having those discussions a lot of the times gives you insight into how seriously people are taking it. If you sit down with somebody and you and you ask them, hey, uh, you know, what do you what do you think about exchange risk? Versus protocol risk, versus you know just like general market risk, and they have approximately two minutes of content for you. What that tells you is that they haven't thought about it that much.
1: Help us think about it. What is protocol risk? What is exchange risk? What is counterparty risk? In like sound bites, like how should we be thinking about this?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's really you know a a, a holistic thing. I mean for for each for 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 each and I, I won't I won't bore everybody with the with the details, but for each silo of risk, we have an extensive amount of metrics that we track to make sure that we're not taking too much risk right so with protocol risk you know we have we have engineers on our team that look at every that look at every single protocol underwrite the code, and basically answer like a three page template on everything that we want to know about this protocol and everything that you know Every everything that we know we're taking a risk about, uh, and grading it on a scale of one to five, and then we set our risk parameters from there. On the counterparty risk side, you know it's looking at it's looking at financial statements. We also have you know a big a big checklist of all the things of all the things that we run through. We actually have a committee of people, both from TradFi and from crypto, that now go sit down and every single counterparty that we use has to pass the test of this committee, trying to poke holes. Is, Hey, is this going to be an issue? Is that going to be an issue? Is this going to be an issue? Is that going to be an issue? Right. You know, like one example of this was, uh, you know, if we're we, we're, we were looking at, we were looking at a trade on compound, what, like, you know, uh, deploy, deploying some capital onto compound. And one question that came up was in the, in the event of a collapse of tether or a collapse of Binance, I'm not saying these things are, are going to happen. I'm just, these are black swan events, super low probability, but let's say that happens. Or in a collapse of maybe even u s. USDC or a crazy a crazy event that none of us that none of us have foreseen, how might that impact either pricing on compound? Could crazy liquidations occur? Uh, you know, how does Oracle interpret uh, you know smooth, smooth out price if it if if it if it does? Will reserves be there? So for example, if we borrow a bunch of assets against USDC and then we pay back those assets, is there a scenario that has caused a bunch of people to go borrow USDC so that utilization is super high and that forty percent rate that compound cap caps out at isn't enough to attract new usdc into the system, and so we can't actually withdraw our USdc, right? because there's none left in the protocol, right? So it's like okay, so you start you start to think through all the different all all, all the different you know parameters and 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 what what you need to be thinking about at any at any given time. And so you know we 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 group we group these things. Uh, into their own buckets and we have large checklists and discussions about each type of risk, each type of risk that we're taking. And that's, you know, in hindsight, obviously very, very important given, given what happened with FTX, but ongoing, that's, that's still going to be a huge, you know, a a huge, a huge thing. And, and people need to, people need to start, start paying attention to that is I think it was, it was a very rude awakening for a lot of people to realize that no matter how good of a trader you are, if you're not conscious of these exogenous risks outside of market risk, you can still lose a lot of money in this space that's a, because it's it's, that's pr- it's great, pretty decent. now great that also point. presents that also presents opportunity right yeah like it presents opportunity and that's why we're here because there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for people to understand how to navigate
1: it's it, i mean you hit the nail on the head right like Risk can sound boring to people who are just sort of dabbling in markets because it does involve homework and confusion and math and, you know, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff that's not necessarily categorizable as fun. But at the same time, once you get it out of the way and once you integrate it into your process, you know, like you said, when you're dealing with the exposed wiring of a brand new asset class tradable in a way no new asset class has ever been tradable before... There are assets that will thousand x within that asset class, and you know you can see during bull markets like 2021 how that how that can change people's entire uh, you know lives. Um, in terms of you know just like trying to contextualize what that opportunity might look like in the future, I think uh, I think it'd be pretty important to kind of dig into like in the wake of this post FTX hangover. The price action is sort of telling you that you need to differentiate between one centralized crypto company called FTX happening to be something other than what we thought it was and like Bitcoin or Ethereum processing blocks like those blockchains work just fine. And they did throughout the entire collapse of that centralized ecosystem. So I think the point you made earlier about how buoyant prices are against the backdrop of all this misery and, and sort of bearishness tells you that, that the kernel of something very important is going on here. And, you know, hopefully what we can pick apart on this podcast is like, what do you buy? What do you invest in? And what do you look for to capture what, you know, I I assume both of us probably assume is going to be a, you know, the upswing in, in the coming cycle. And we do believe this is a cycle. We don't think this is a secular decline here. So on the Cumberland side, one thing that we're looking at is like, DeFi primitives, uh, even though they had their summer in 2020, they're starting to look pretty interesting again. Like if you're just going to ask yourself, what is a blockchain good for? The entire centralized lending industry just disappeared. As a trading house, you need to borrow lots of capital and coin to facilitate the liquidity that, that people need. And again, even though volumes are down tens of billions of dollars worth of this stuff are trading all the time. And so this isn't, this isn't a market that telegraphs signs of apathy, right? So if we're going to provide that liquidity to the market, we have to figure out where we can go and borrow stuff. And increasingly, it's on-chain. You know, back in the day, uh, you know, way mm-hmm. back six months ago, it was pretty easy to just go get Bitcoin or ETH loaned to you at stupidly low interest rates from companies that are now bankrupt. That's over. Now you look on-chain, you get fantastic liquidity on things like Aave and a couple of other protocols and it's like wait a second this is this is real like this is real amounts of capital perhaps if like you said avi if if the protocol risk is justifiable and you can analyze it all in the white paper it's clear as day you can see it on chain like if it makes sense perhaps that's that's like the next leg of something something worthwhile is just DeFi primitives you know
0: yeah i i I agree and i want to I want to talk about a, a, a little bit about how I've started thinking about investing, especially post post FTX. I think it was Warren Buffett who had that. You know, I I buy I buy great comp you know great companies at great prices. Uh, that that that's a that's a little bit how I'm thinking about the market right now. Which is which is that you you have finally sorry a separation between the good and the bad in crypto. So in 2021, there was this concept of the hot ball of money, right? You'd get speculation, move from one protocol to another protocol, to another protocol, to another protocol, and price would follow where these narratives and where these people were going, but the narratives were, they weren't real. (laughs) They were transparent, they were fake and they were manufactured in many, in many ways because people wanted them to be true. Because if it was true, then they could make a lot of money. And you fast forward to today, where there are L1s and their DeFi protocols and their metaverse and gaming companies that are all proving that they're more valuable than others. Either through better BD or continued dev adoption or better tech progress. You're actually seeing differentiation in a lot of these, in a lot of these companies and valuations actually haven't caught up in many cases. So the way that I think about this is, is really, is really twofold. It's what is one, how good just on an absolute basis are these companies? What's the address of what's, what's the addressable market? You know, how big can it get? How valuable is it really? Is it, you know, better than the current than the current state of things and then the other angle is well how much is that appreciated right now right and you start to realize that <clears throat> because of the recent collapse in crypto a lot of valuations have come back down to earth right there are protocols with working products in defi at 30 to 60 million dollar valuations and their venture deals getting funded at 30 million dollars pre-product right now Right, and you got to scratch your head and say, "Wait a second, that doesn't." One of these things is wrong. Now, it might be that the venture stuff is just way, way overvalued, or it might be that there are these liquid products out there that are actually useful that are just beaten down because the market's beaten down, and because nobody's actually doing doing the real work to come in and to to, to come in and figure out what 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 the real what the real value of these things are, right? And so you sort of have this really nice market environment right now where you can be both a long-term investor and get in at you know reasonable valuations for some you know there are obviously still a bunch of very overvalued things in crypto and i think <laughs> that will that, that will persist uh you know and, and a lot a lot of them will fail and a lot of them a lot of them will blow up uh, but there's also a lot of undervalued stuff in crypto in, in crypto right now and my goal as an investor is to come up with ways to screen and assess that undervaluation. Right. So one of the things that our analysts, uh, you know, our our analysts did over the last week, which I thought was really useful was going through, they went through the top 300 projects on CoinGecko and they basically gave an explanation of what it was. And let me tell you, there are a lot of random projects out there that you've never heard of that are in the top 300 on CoinGecko. And (laughs) out of it, came a couple of interesting gems and we we're like, Oh, we didn't know about this thing before, but it actually looks kind of interesting and it actually looks reasonably fair, fairly valued. Right. And so going through this process of. Especially now, instead of looking at all the same stuff that other people are looking at, try to go find the new stuff that's out there, the stuff that's overlooked, right. And put in the work. The thing that's beautiful about this market environment, absolutely beautiful is that we currently have, in my opinion, a lazy trader problem where People aren't putting in the work. Everybody's going on, Christmas is coming up, you know, holidays, end of year, market's depressed. No, this is the best time to be working 14 hour days looking at random stuff, right? Because <laughs> this, is, this, this is actually great trading. It's a great trading environment. It's a great investing environment. And you're not, I'm, not, I'm not fighting anybody else. Guess what? Nobody's fighting me on this because
1: they're off on vacation right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. That's great for me. Or just or just sitting on the sidelines like uh, from from, you know, the liquidity provision perspective you see, you know, in terms of counterparties that we trade with, if you're an allocator and you're you're in charge of deploying capital mm-hmm. into crypto, crude oil, stocks, bonds, everything else, you're kind of going to get fired if you go and launch a bunch of your investors money into crypto right now and lose 40 percent of it. Meanwhile, um you're not going to get fired if the thing 3x's from here and you pile in at the same time as all your peers do because then it's kind of justifiable that's the you know kind of the game theory of passive investment management in many cases and so um nobody's you know nobody's proactively knife catching at this point uh, there have been several knife catch uh, acts of heroism by various you know people and institutions over the course of this year and i think you know at these lows a lot of them have been burned so i think they're on the sidelines and like you said, Avi, there's some real gems. I mean, we don't we do a version of what you were talking about. We haven't gone through the, you know, the coins on CoinGecko that we aren't invested in. But sometimes we just review the ones that we are invested in. We look at them and review and say, why did we do this? Why are we invested? What are the sort of key performance indicators, the KPIs that are that we're looking for in terms of, you know, metrics of success that we expect to drive the appreciation of this token, according to tokenomics that we've theoretically looked through. And, you know, if you, if you do that review, which is a version of what you were specifically describing, Avi, like on, on your portfolio, you know, you can do this as a retail investor. You can, even if the only thing you hold is Bitcoin, you should just think this through. Like if you do it once a month, often it's, it's kind of evident that you should either be adding a whole lot of risk to your your crypto position, or perhaps reducing or, or cutting it entirely. And, you know, I really like that framework. I, I think I I might have picked it up from one of your podcasts a long time ago, but um, it works. It works. Just like, what is this coin? Yes. Why do I want to own it? Yeah, and and I think the the mistake that a lot of people make is they
0: they associate KPI with fundamentals, and it's it, this is just something that you should do with any trade, right? So. A lot of the times we'll be trading off of just data, right? So funding, let's say, let's say we find a coin trading at 200% annualized negative, negative funding rate, open interest has has gone four X people are shorting it and they're just aggressively offsides, right? So we look at this and we go, okay, this is a candidate. This is a candidate for a short squeeze. Okay. Let me pull up, let me pull up my parameters for what makes, what makes a good short squeeze, right? Are they shorting because of an event? Are they shorting because they're just shorting? Are they, you know, <clears throat> where where are the shorts? Where are the shorts coming in? What's the average entry price? What's the average entry price of the shorts? And then, you know, you start to you start to construct a plan, right? You start to say, okay, so if I know that the let's asset A, the average entry price of a short is ten bucks. It's trading at eight right now. Uh, I know that it's two hundred percent annualized, but it normally trades, you know, at let's say negative 10% annualized because that's just how things have been trading, trading, tra- trading recently. And I know that, uh, this much open interest, th- this much open interest is added. Okay. Then I can start to construct a plan, a trade plan. I say, once it hits 10, there's probably going to be a little bit of a squeeze and the short, the short, the shorts are going to exit. Once funding rate comes in, but let's let's, let's say I'm being conservative. If it goes in below 50%, 40% annualized to short. I'm going to take off some of the trade. I'm going to take off 25, 30 percent. If it goes below 25 percent annualized, I'll take off 75 percent. If open interest decreases by 50 percent, I'll take off 50 percent. Right? And now you start to have almost a system for trading these things. Yeah. And so when you hear the word KPI, because I know a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people will will, will hear that and they'll go, "Okay, well, what does that mean?" And it's like, "Well, it just means a plan. Just have a plan." Like take your take whatever data you're using, take whatever information, and you apply this to the fundamentals too, right? Maybe you're maybe you're betting on Matic, and you're saying, I think that Starbucks is going to drive a ton of usage to Matic. Okay, monitor it. Yeah, take a look, set up a system to actually make sure that your thesis is your thesis is playing. I think you know one of the, one of the funniest things about crypto and this happens to me all the time, Jonah. I mean, you'll you'll have a thesis, you'll establish a position. It'll work fantastically, and it'll have been absolutely not because of your thesis at all.
1: <laughs> that's it's nice the, nice to hear that that right? those things work out for you. Usually uh, on our side they don't, but nice <laughs> nice to hear that that you're hitting those no. singles. Some, sometimes, some, sometimes, some, sometimes they do. Sometimes I mean, sometimes the thing, they the one thing you but... mentioned just now that's super interesting though is like. The process is so important. And like one thing you mentioned as as part of this like kind of mock process is the funding rate to getting short crypto. Like you were talking about a short squeeze scenario. Shorting crypto, especially shorting altcoins, has never been more expensive than it is today. There are no lenders left except the ones on chain for all intents and purposes, with maybe Mm -hmm. one or two exceptions if you're very institutional. So like Matic, you brought it up. You want to get short that thing? you are paying through the ears to bet that that's going down. And do you really want to do that with crypto, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90% off the all time highs with uh, the Fed about to pivot with narratives starting to to pop up that are looking a little bit bullish. And one one particularly interesting thing is in the wake of this Binance uh, scare, assets are getting yanked off exchanges like crazy. Nobody wants to leave their money on an exchange anymore. Even the slightest bit of crypto twitter fear people just pull hundreds of millions billions of dollars off these exchanges what does that mean that means there's less crypto available available for sale at any given time so it's almost a bullish technical that uh really contradicts the bearish narrative right so the people you know if you if you've identified like avi said like one of these one of these uh candidates for a short squeeze and all this is playing playing out in the backdrop probably a pretty good time to get, to get long and play for uh, Avi. I think you tweeted the, the God candle. Um, that's, you know, certain it, it's, it's not, yeah, a, it, it's, on, it's but... a bit a, bit of a, bit, bit of a me- bit
0: of a meme from the past, but basically I just, I just keep seeing all these people shorting the market and I keep seeing all these people being bearish the market and price isn't going down and you, you just have to take your ego and throw it out the window. You just listen to the, what the market's
1: telling you when I was an oil trader in 2020, like people were, people were saying in 2020, no one's ever going to use crude oil again. You know, sure. It went negative. That's really scary. It's really just one little benchmark at one particular place in, uh, you know, Cushing, Oklahoma that went negative. The rest of the world's crude oil was pretty positive at the time, but you know, you heard these narratives like it's over. It's no one's, (laughs) no one's going to burn petroleum anymore. And, you know, obviously, uh, Bitcoin now and crypto at large is sort of where crude oil was a hundred years ago. But I think that's, it's an important lateral to make because, you know, if there's any other asset class that represents liquid tradable early stage technology, it's commodities. And I think the you know, the fear, the, you know, the fear and euphoria cycles there kind of mimic those in crypto. And we're, we're certainly at, at a point where people are once again, calling it a, you know, crypto kind of a useless asset class, scam, no use case. But obviously, as you said, like Matic, Starbucks, like at, at what what what's going to make you believe in crypto if not Polygon raking companies with billions of users into this space? Like MetaMask has 30 million users. That's got to be the biggest app in crypto right now. Uh, and then Polygon suddenly just lands Instagram, uh, Reddit, Starbucks, Nike, uh what what's going on there? Uh like should we be focused on FTX being a big deal or that being a big deal? What do you think?
0: I you know, I'm 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 with you. I mean, I think, you know, this this has been sort of sad ad nauseum at this point, but FTX is not crypto. Yeah. <laughs> like FTX was just a player in crypto and crypto's here to stay and that you know that 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 that's almost that's almost like a it's it's such a it's a cop out for people to get out of the space i mean it just it just doesn't make any sense uh, you know when lehman when, when lehman went down yeah sure there were people calling for the end of the whole banking system but w- was that true no <laughs> uh,
1: i worked there i again as the old man in the room having been everywhere got to get to claim that one yeah people were talking about a resource war back then you worked at you worked at lehman i did i did i was were you, were you there when it collapsed that's right i was i was a uh I started as a first-year analyst in the credit default swaps trading department at Lehman Brothers in 2007, and you know that was like considered a good job at the time. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. That was my. You, you were in. You were in CDS in 2000. You joined Lehman and did CDS in 2007. Yeah, my mom is super disappointed in me. Everything it gets worse from there. Then crude oil, and now this. Like, you know, uh, that was crazy. I mean, the, the thing the thing literally blew up. Uh, you know, we, the, the CEO said everybody's fine, like the company's liquid. Um, you know, I sat on the credit desk. So obviously the guy who traded um, corporate financial bonds like JP Morgan and Lehman, of course, and Morgan Stanley and Goldman, he was down the road, busy you know, bidding Lehman debt to try and support the price of it uh, to make the company seem more, you know, tr- credit worthy to external investors who, you know, the CEO and, and his cronies were hoping would bail it out. And then Lehman ran out of cash, the bonds tanked, and then, you know, it spiraled into bankruptcy pretty quickly. Um, And then shortly thereafter, I got like an email from Barclays Capital, which bought Lehman's businesses out of bankruptcy, uh, sort of like CZ almost did with with, uh, FTX before he backed out, where it's like, you know, you get an email that says, Dear Lehman employee, if you would like a 90-day conditional uh, employment offer that can be terminated at will at any time from Barclays Capital, please reply with accept in the subject line. Otherwise, please reply with, uh, re- you know, reject or deny, I forget. And yeah, that that's that was my career at that point. Um, that stunk. But yeah, people were talking about a resource war. They were like, okay, well, you know, the banking system's gone, so you're going to hoard physical gold, uh, you know, buy some land with fresh water. The distressed credit guys were all over that stuff. Golden Tree was probably crushing it. And um, You know, honestly, like it was a weird time, but usually, you know, when something like that plays out in any given market, you're, or in, you know, oil going negative in 2020, you're like three to six, maybe nine months from the dead ball lows at worst, or you've already seen them. Like how, you know, it can always get worse, of course. But like you said at the beginning of this podcast, Avi, like prices are holding in right now. And the bottom just fell out weight, like if you're a tradfi participant in crypto if you just joined crypto like i did at the euphoric highs in q4 21 and you're looking at this like how do i justify this career to my family i think the um you know i think the 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 takeaway here is like it's it's scary, but it's just another market. Like this is not some new thing that's going to zero. It's just another market cycle. And we've seen so many of these before. It almost feels benign compared to the Lehman one where the whole financial system was about to collapse. Except this time in crypto, you don't have a digital Tim Geithner to bail everybody out. You don't have like in 2020, a digital OPEC to cut supply and pump prices back up. Econ 101 is just going to play out like it did in your college textbook. And... You know, like you said, if you do the analysis, you understand the white papers, the protocols, and the credit risk and the counterparty risk involved. It starts to become predictable. And you know, if you and I are both bullish and we both do our homework independently, like you know, perhaps there's a thread of bullishness out there um, with with a bit of you know basis in reality. I would hope. You know, I, I think I
0: think that's a that's a beautiful way to end this, which is that everything old is new and everything new is old. And Jonah as the old man in the room, has seen it all. So <laughs> I think that
1: was, uh, you know, I really, <laughs> really, really, really had a really had a good time. What, what do they say, Avi? Five years in crypto is one year in normal life, and you've been in crypto how long? No, it's uh, one year in crypto is five years in normal life. <laughs> it's Dog years. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. It's my old brain. Just yeah. You know, anyway, um, I've been in crypto for I guess six years now. Well, wow. it's been a while. So that's thirty years.
0: You're a thirty year veteran of this stuff. But anyway, this is a great this is a great uh, great time chatting with you, Jonah. I think we covered we covered most of the topics on the next on the next podcast, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a pretty special guest. But I'm super excited for you guys for you, for you guys to meet. He hasn't done many media appearances, but he runs one of the most successful trading firms in the world. And I I think if you think hard enough, you might be able to guess who
1: it is. I'll give you a hint. One of the trading firms is where we work great great talking to everybody and as always uh none of this is investment advice crypto is risky be careful out there great talking to you avi